Damo, do you want the first and only certified organic bone broth in Australia? Do you want a broth with no hidden thickeners, yeast extract, salt or flavour enhancers? MP, I want a broth made by hand from start to finish with nothing but love and positive vibes. Well, that's why you're left with only one broth, Damo, and that is Broth of Life. Ho, ho, ho. Choose from dehydrated bone broth in chicken, beef and lamb. You'll also find FODMAP-friendly stock. That's FODMAP-friendly stock, veggie stock and chicken salt, all available at brotheoflife.com.au. And a special for Wellness Couch listeners. Enter the code WELLNESSCOUCH2016 at the checkout before November 30 for 10% off your order. So awesome. The code again is WELLNESSCOUCH2016, only at brotheoflife.com.au. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, Up for a Chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Kim Morrison. And I'm Cindy O'Mara. And I just want everybody to know, before we even start this podcast, I had a huntsman in my shower this morning as big as my face. So <laughs> I just think... This morning. <laughs> <laughs> just so that everybody knows that I've had a traumatic morning, um, I just want that out there. I just, I just, I do. I just want that out there. I mean, if you should have seen this, it, 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 I thought it was my hand, Cindy, but now I'm actually thinking it's the size of the car. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey look well we had one in taylor's room the other day and and hero danny i told him he couldn't kill it so he gets a plastic see-through container worst mistake it's up on the wall he climbs up he puts the container over it but of course the spider falls into the container which looks like it's falling towards his face so he throws the container and the spider oh, and and now it's in the wardrobe and harry huntsman is probably making babies in there i just can't bear it can't bear it that's hysterical. Yeah, don't don't use a see-through container. <laughs> you know what's amazing? Um, in Mooloolaba uh, recently, uh, I was swimming on a Sunday morning and there were millions of butterflies that had hatched and I thought it was ash. I thought there was a fire and there was ash everywhere and then I looked up and they were all flying everywhere they're just beautiful absolutely beautiful yeah there's lots around Karen take us into today baby because a few of us have got some um some crises going on in our families and I've really loved I'm really looking forward to today's podcast with you two girls Mm. Well, I thought I would start with the spider because it's kind of a really good lead in because that was my own personal crisis. (laughs) (laughs) I'm with you. And let's just say I couldn't breathe, froze, jumped out of my skin, didn't know what to do with myself, bumped into the wall. I actually stood on the dog. You know, it was all... It was all quite inside out and upside down and for the sake of a spider, yes. Um, what I <laughs> I think that the thing that we really wanted to talk about today is a crisis and what happens in a crisis and what happens when it's somebody close to you and how we deal with it, how we feel about it, how we process it and how everybody's different. And, and I wanted to share something with you guys. I had a conversation with a very dear girlfriend of mine over the weekend and her son 
Um, he's a young guy. He's 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 um, I think he's, he's you know he's in he's, he's probably twenty, and he um, has just been diagnosed with type one diabetes. Now I don't, as far as I'm aware, nobody actually saw this coming. I mean, he was obviously experiencing some symptoms, but they were unexplained, and. So he was diagnosed with the diabetes. Now, I have seen the way that she's responded, and obviously I'm very close to her, so I feel everything that she feels. And it was interesting, my initial response was just instant calm, like to the calmest, calmest, calmest place that I could possibly be because I knew that I needed to um, – go into what my normal response is, and my normal response is the deepest of research, find the experts, know everything about it, understand it inside and out from a medical uh, philosophy and from a natural um, nutrition philosophy. And, of course, I reached out to Cindy immediately. Um, So I think the most important things that – well, not the most important things, but I think what I I observed yesterday was how I responded – and how everybody else in her family has responded differently and with their own strengths and fears and concerns and things. And, and, and I think it's interesting to actually bring up the conversation. One, how we respond in a crisis um, and how that then ripple effects out to the person who's actually being affected. And I'll share just something that, you know, occurred to me, I guess, within minutes of hearing what had happened to my girlfriend because it's not just about the son, it's about the family too. And my first response was, okay, I do know people who have gone through type 1 diabetes and I'd really love for us to talk a little bit more about that even today just, you know, for her sake. Um, But I I do know people who have gone through it, so I know that it's not the end of the world and I know that it's definitely manageable and, you know, people go on to live very normal lives if they've managed it well. And I think that, so that was my first response. But then my second response was, you know, I, I guess the fear and the concern and the um, the tragedy in it all happens in our own mind and it all happens in the story that we tell ourselves when in actual point of fact, I, I was speaking at the Golden Door Health Retreat. Um, sorry, everybody, if you heard my dog barking in the background there. I'm just actually at home right now. Um, I was speaking at the Golden Door Health Retreat on the weekend and it was almost uncanny because one of the things that I was suggesting was that none of our experiences actually are designed to destroy us and make us less. But unfortunately, we don't actually see that at the time that it's occurring. When in actual fact, everything that occurs in our lives is designed to have us expand and become larger, stronger and bigger than what we ever were before, not just for ourselves, but on behalf of the ripple effect of our lives. So on behalf of everybody that we influence. Now, I know that that can be seen as a slightly esoteric view, especially when you know, something like this has just happened. It's very hard to see that there's purpose in it because I'm pretty sure that most people would just see it as the greatest tragedy, the biggest mistake, and how did this happen and why did this happen and how can we get rid of it? But I think that there's also value in having a look at the mind-body connection. And when we think about when we have fear, it affects the body. When we experience love, there's a, a, a physical sensation. When we feel excitement, there's a physical sensation. When we experience pain, there's a physical sensation. So with every mental experience, there's also a physical sensation taking place. And we can't ignore the psychology, the impact that the psychology has um, neurologically and biologically and physiologically. 
we can't ignore that the two are intrinsically linked. So I think that um, there is value in being able to look at it from the one direction of suggesting that this experience, whatever the crisis is, um, is absolutely a crisis calling the person or the family or whoever it is it's experiencing, calling them forward into a much bigger experience of life. And I remember when I was going through Bali and I was walking through, the, running through the flames and I was walking through the streets and my head was completely crushed. Somebody's, I, I asked the audience, I said, well, I'm telling you the story right now. I said, what is it that you're feeling for me on behalf of me? And they expressed horror, terror, fear, trepidation, devastation. And I said to them, you know, none of that is true. When I reflected on it for sure, but at the time that it was occurring, the biggest, strongest version of myself is what came forth. And I said, and if I'm to be really honest and really analyse what was there at the times when I've had my biggest scares in my life, there's a power that kicks in that almost replaces us. And I like to think that that's the human instinct for survival, but I also say that there's nothing human about it. It's far greater and far grander than what we can ever possibly imagine. It's in, it's in our smallness that we go back and reflect on a situation, but then we see the pain and the suffering and the hardship of it. And I think that when we can actually see something for who we are as we're going through it and really stay connected to what am I feeling right now, who is it that's feeling this, what is this real experience and how is this designed to make me be bigger and grander, how can I wrap my arms around this experience and embrace it for everything that is because, man, am I going to be the catalyst for growth for me and everybody that I affect. So let me get the most out of this while this is here. And ra rather than wishing it wasn't here and having it be soul-destroying. And, again, you know, to everybody who's going through a crisis right now, I I'm sure you just want to slap me and I'm sure you want to turn off the podcast right now because I know that's exactly what I wanted to do. So I'm not suggesting that a person can get to this straight away, but I am suggesting that a person can give this some consideration, that the mind and the body are connected. So make them work together. And what I've just suggested in the way of thinking is just one way of thinking positively. I mean, there are many ways to be able to shift a mindset so that the mind and body become congruent in the healing and the um, the wellness of the experience rather than the tragedy of the experience. And then I think it's also very important that a person honours their own way of handling things. They become very um, okay with however they handle it. And if some people go into their shell, that's how they handle it. You know, when we're in a crisis, we go to our default position. Some people go to fear and shout and scream. Some people go quiet and withdraw. Some people go very calm and analytical. Some people become very dramatic. I mean, it's everybody has their way of handling it. And I think that, you know, respect is really necessary for everybody's way of, of dealing with their own crises. That's, that, that's just my view. And I mean, and I don't think that I'm right. I'm just, I'm just sort of, you know, making conversation really. <laughs> what do you guys think? Ah, look, you know, um, we all go through crises, and it, and you know, Karen, you're the the mind girl. So um, I know when I go through a crisis, I look for, and I don't look at food for comfort, but I look at food as my way of strength. Yeah. So 
good foods, doing the right thing, um, doing my my rituals, keeping them up and not allowing them to go because that gives me that strength. And I and I know Kim, what she does, and she can mark me if she's wrong, but I know if I'm wrong, but she'll go running. <laughs> she'll get yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. I do. <laughs> Especially with a huntsman. <laughs> no, I don't. Maybe, maybe not think, in the moment, though, Cindy. Like in the moment when I see or hear the, the news, or I get it. I actually realised when I watched myself at um, a forum recently when there was that they they create games and things like that for you to do, and you can observe your behaviour. And I notice what I do is I go completely quiet while the confusion is all happening. And then I realise it hits me later. I have to digest it. I have to watch, observe, listen. Probably am in a little bit of shock, and then, and then the process occurs. And I don't think I'm a screamer and a flapper, um, unlike you, Cindy. Um, but I am somebody who definitely watches and observes, and then probably not as calm as Karen. But um, I, I really believe if we can take a breath while we're absorbing the information, it can allow us to behave or at least react in a way that is active, not reactive. Mm. Yeah, definitely. definitely. And I think, and I think, you know, what the point that you're you're highlighting in there is that everybody's got their own way. Mm. Everybody's got their own way of dealing with something at the initial shock stages. Mm. I think, you know, there's there's the there's the abs- there's the different phases of of going through something. And at first, there's going to be shock, and then you know, then there's going to be denial, and then there's going to be anger, and then there's going to be, mm. you know sadness and then you know a person will eventually get to resolution and reconciliation and there's probably another step in there karen sorry to interrupt you darling but i do believe a little bit of ferociousness can come in ferociousness on getting the information ferociousness on researching and i i think that's where someone like cindy we're so lucky to have her in our camp particularly with a health crisis where she is the first person you and I would probably ring in a health crisis. And it's so good to have a sobering and and calm voice who just goes ferocious with detail and information. So I'm going to add in ferociousness in there, love. I love it. Love your work. Love your work. Because Cindy was the first person that I messaged. So there you go. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. And I did actually say to my girlfriend, I've got Cindy O'Meara on the case. Powerhouses. Here we go. <laughs> well, I think that's the beauty of Up for a Chat. And so, so Cindy, you know, like we have had a number of people email us and ask us not only discovering that loved ones have been diagnosed with a form of cancer, um, Lyme disease, autoimmune disease, diabetes. Can you tell us, is there a protocol or a, a, a way that you might suggest to all of us that could be, um, I don't know if we pick one of those as a topic and then we go through it. Uh, maybe we use your girlfriend, Karen, as an example, but would you be up for doing yeah. that with us, Cindy? I think it's a great idea because, like type 1 diabetes is, and I think it's probably a really good idea to talk about the difference between type 1 diabetes and type 2 diabetes. So many people say that uh, the difference between type 1 and type 2, and, you know, this is changing as um, the decades go past, but once upon a time, you know, type 2 was lifestyle, type 1 was genetic, 
Um, there was nothing you could do about this type 1. Usually people who got type 1 diabetes were juvenile, so that's why it was called um, juvenile onset diabetes. Basically it wasn't um, an adult onset one. Like my cousin at the age of 2 was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. He's now 50 um, and he's actually just had a pancreas transplant um, they did that in the United States, so he didn't have to inject himself with insulin anymore. They left his old pancreas in there because it was still doing what it should be doing apart from the beta cells were, were gone. Um, but they gave him a transplant. So there's all this new technology um, that they're now doing, and they're, they're also the way that insulin is um, given. Not It doesn't necessarily have to be given manually anymore. They sometimes have um, these packs that you, you you wear and it will inject into you as it you know monitors you so and monitoring is is really important so the difference between now type 1 diabetes and type 2 diabetes is that type 2 diabetes is no longer adult onset it's actually also our young are getting diabetes so lifestyle is affecting our children as well as our adults and now our type 1 diabetes is not just juvenile onset it is basically all ages. I'm hearing 45-year-olds, 50-year-olds getting type 1 diabetes, 20-year-olds getting diabetes, not just uh, our young, you know, our young kids. So the diseases are changing and they're changing in the age groups that they used to be in. So type 1 diabetes is known as an autoimmune disease. And that comes under a huge umbrella now, which includes rheumatoid arthritis. It includes, um, gosh, uh, crests, which my sister had, which is calcinosis, Raynaud's phenomena, esophagitis, telangiectasia, scleroderma. Uh, it can go as far as they're even saying dementia is a autoimmune disease. Um, gout is an autoimmune disease, which is a form of arthritis. So more and more, there is more coming under that umbrella. And type 1, you know, there's many theories that are out there and some are saying that if you get a certain bacterial virus uh, and the body creates antibodies to it, then that may look similar to the beta cells on the pancreas. So let's explain what the beta cells on the pancreas are. They are the cells that produce insulin. And they are the ones that are attacked when um, someone gets type 1 diabetes. And usually at diagnosis, 70% of those beta cells are destroyed by the body itself. So you're usually left with 30% still act active and still producing insulin. And I always see this as a good thing because at least you have 30% making insulin, which means that you perhaps can use less and less synthetic insulin. And medicine is phenomenal because these people would have died if it wasn't for modern medicine. If they didn't, weren't able to inject insulin into their bodies, then, you know, they wouldn't survive. They couldn't survive. Now, with this 30% still available to the body, with still having it to the body, we call this the honeymoon period. And this is a period that can last 12 months, two years, six months, depending on the person. And the honeymoon period means that your body is still producing insulin, but at minimal amounts. And what 
where modern medicine and um, conventional thinking and, in my way of thinking, mechanistically thinking, they wait, they, they, they say it's far better if all the beta cells are gone and then we can monitor your insulin. Oh, they wow. don't want, yeah, they don't want the beta cells to be there because it becomes harder because they don't know how much the body's making. So they yeah. want them completely obliterated and, and the body does that. The body will completely obliterate it unless you stop it. And we're going to talk about that I know of people who are stopping this and how they're stopping it. And um, and then at least you've got that 30%. Can you regenerate? Uh, I don't know because I don't know enough about it. Um, but the more we learn and the more we know, it's the next thing that we do that makes all the difference. And what we do know is that we actually can halt an autoimmune disease and in some cases reverse it. So that's to me that's exciting. But if you're diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, you are in emergency care. That is where you go. Therefore, you're in the medical system. And what they will say to you is, is that, well, wait, you know, you're going to be in a honeymoon period. Um, this is what we need to do. So they talk about monitoring your sugar. They talk about how to use the insulin, how to monitor your sugar, what foods you should be eating. And I know because there are so many people being diagnosed with diabetes at the moment um, that they're in and out in a very short period of time out of those hospitals. So much so that, uh, you know, the parents are given all the information and then you've got to go home and you've got to figure this out yourself. And that's because seven cases a day are being diagnosed in Australia alone of type 1 diabetes. So it's a growing disease. And if you have a look at the statistics from the 1960s to now, you see that it is, it is growing um, at an exponential rate. And it's growing not only in our juvenile or our young, but it's growing in our adult population. So, for instance, there's a beautiful medical doctor here um, on the Sunshine Coast who was diagnosed at 45, and he was given the conventional way of dealing with type 1 diabetes, and it wasn't working for him. And so he went looking elsewhere, and he is actually very uh, much into the ketogenic diet and not eating carbohydrates. So I know if there are dietitians listening or anybody from JDRF, or which is um, a research foundation for juvenile diabetes or type 1 diabetes, that they'll be having fits. Because what, what um, it's about how you think and look at things. So what they do with monitoring sugar levels in your blood, because let, let's look at how sugar levels are or how sugar is monitored in the blood. It's monitored by two hormones. One is insulin, which brings your sugar level down, and one is glucagon, which brings your sugar level up. And both are in a homeostasis in that if you've got low sugar, um, then um, you know, you'll, you'll get glucagon come in, and if you've got high sugar, then insulin will come in to, to bring it into storage, like to bring that sugar level down in your blood. So when you test your blood sugar, and if your blood sugar is high, you know to inject yourself with insulin. But the body does this automatically. It will, it knows how to do it. So in type 2 diabetes, what happens is that we put so much sugar into our body and we have carbohydrates and refined foods and sugars and um, bad fats and foods like that, that the sugar is so high in the blood that the insulin is being produced uh, like 
over and over and over. There's more and more insulin being produced by the beta cells. And then what happens is that there are receptors on our cells for insulin. And if those receptors become fatigued, which we call insulin resistance, then the sugar stays in the blood and triglycerides increase and heart disease increase and type 2 diabetes increases. So that's type 2 diabetes. With type 1 diabetes is that they are not producing, uh, they are not producing enough insulin, therefore the sugar is staying high in the blood and that's what's causing the problem. So it's... So it's what the same, Cindy? Forgive um, my ignorance on that. It sounds like that was the same thing, though. Well, or is one, one insulin and one is too much insulin and becoming insulin resistant. Oh, sorry. Okay, forgive me. I understand what you're saying. Yep, yep, yep. So one, there's not enough insulin being produced, therefore the sugar stays high in the blood. Gotcha. That's one. Type 2 is too much insulin is being produced. The receptors become, you know, insulin resistant, which mm -hmm. means the sugar still stays in the blood. So the actual result is still there's high sugar in the blood, which then causes the complications. Right. Gotcha. Yeah, so it's 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 basically um, the, the end result is the same in that sugar is high in the blood. Mm. And some type 2 diabetes, people with type 2 diabetes must use insulin or they may use metformin, other medications that it's through the mouth. Um, but type 1 diabetes, people with type 1 diabetes, it's important that they um, do have in, insulin injected into their body so that they can monitor their sugar levels. Otherwise, it creates a problem. So one of the things that we do know in type 1 and type 2 diabetes is it's very important to keep your sugar levels at a, at a, a happy medium. But many, what happens is many um, people in the beginning, their sugar levels rise, they throw insulin in, um, they throw too much insulin in, then they have a sugar low, uh, and then sugar high, sugar low, sugar high, sugar low, and that's where complications happen. And what this beautiful doctor here um, on the Sunshine Coast realised is that the carbohydrates was what was throwing his sugar up and down all the time. And he wanted to keep his sugar levels at a, at a nice average, not shooting up and down all the time, but a nice average. And, and he basically contends that staying away from the carbohydrates is the best thing uh, for him to do. And it's not just him that's saying that. There are many people that are saying it. And uh, more and more are saying it, yet um, there's such a big resistance in um, the treatment of diabetes. In actual fact, um, Dr. Gary Fedke, who has um, his wife Belinda, I have to say now, not Gary, but his wife Belinda has a centre in Tasmania and it's about the treatment of, of diabetes and they're very much into reducing the carbohydrates in the diet um, and looking at the quality of proteins and the quality of fats in the diet, as well as looking at foods that are not going to hijack the blood sugar levels. Now, we, or I did an interview recently. Well, I think we put it on up for a chat in the last couple of months. And it was with Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride. And my girlfriend's son, who I think he was about 13 at the time, had just been diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Now, here is a family that uh, eats, well, she thought she ate well, but I saw her, I asked her to show me her diet 
And what she was doing was she was falling into the trap of gluten-free packaged foods as opposed to good quality foods um, with or without gluten. So she was falling into that, that trap and she was flabbergasted that with what they had done, that she had a son that had type 1 diabetes. And so what I did was I asked Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride because she works a lot with um, autoimmune diseases. I asked her about somebody who had been first diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and she says, you get them fast, you get them on the protocol and um, we can keep those 30% of those beta cells. Therefore, them producing their own insulin and continuing to produce their own insulin and only having to inject um, insulin uh, on, on a, in a minor way rather than in a, in a major way. So uh, I know people that have moved their amount of, of insulin that they're or reduced the amount of insulin they're using by tenfold. What but, protocol is that, Cindy? So, Natasha, it's about healing the gut. Because, all right, let, let's now, let's talk about what we know about type 1 diabetes and autoimmune diseases. And what's interesting, Karen, is that Kim and I, we did an interview because it was on the spur of the moment. We got in, we've been waiting for months to get in um, with Dr. Tom O'Brien. And Dr. Tom O'Brien is a specialist on autoimmune diseases. And he has created a docuseries called Betrayal. And um, we will, in the show notes here, um, allow, you know, get people to know that it, it um, is available to them. Uh, and it is about autoimmune diseases and how do we heal autoimmune diseases. So talking about type 1 diabetes and um, autoimmune diseases, what's caused it is the intelligence of the body has gone to the point where it doesn't know what is the enemy anymore and what is itself. And so what it does is it starts to consume parts of itself. So the body starts to consume itself. So in your friend's son's case, what has happened is that he has either had a virus, a bacteria, or he has compromised immune system, or he has a gut where the interstitial lining um, or the epithelial lining is compromised. And as a result, uh, he has immune complexes happening and these immune complexes have created a immune defence against a sequence of amino acids and because this compromisation is probably occurring over and over and over again, the body then goes and seeks out other proteins that are identical to that bacteria or virus or parasite or food. And in the case of your um, friend's son, it's attacking the beta cells, which are proteins. And it's like it's called molecular mimicry, where it's looking for the danger in another area of the body. So why did it choose your son's friend's pancreas and beta cells, and yet it may choose a female's uh, thyroid? Mm. And it's, it's really interesting because... What's happening is in males, type 1 diabetes is more likely um, the autoimmune disease that they will get, and in females it's thyroid. It's happening in both, don't get me wrong, but the likelihood is more male in type 1 and more female in thyroid, where 
we're noticing this in the statistics. Cindy, Cindy just t- before you go on, I think that was one of the most important and most interesting uh, facts that I took from Dr. Tom O'Brien was all of these issues, diseases and problems, which went through even to asthma, uh, joint rheumatism, pain, um, uh, heart problems, dementia. Uh, sorry? Dementia. Dementia, all of these things. What intrigued me is that depending on the individual, depending on circumstance, will the, the, the body is talking to you, the body is not great, and it can show up in any one of these platforms, and diabetes was one of those. So there is something not being done to the best of our ability, is this right, in, our, in the way that we're living our lifestyle, what we're eating, or stress, or lack of sleep, or whatever, and the body has now turned around with one of these conditions due to the person's individuality and biochemistry, and it's one of those diseases. Is that right, Cindy? And a lot of a lot of the material out there, though, is is that it's genetics. And then I go to the Bruce Lipton podcast where he says it's epigenetics, which is beyond genetics, which is the environment in which turns genes on or off. So we can't not look at the environment, not outside environment, but internal environment, like the petri dish. It's very confusing, Cindy. It's very um, it is, but it's it's a it's an education and. We can look at disease as something that we can fix or we can look at disease as something where we need to make change. And in the case of your of your friend's son... S- Cindy, sorry, I- sorry, just to interrupt there again. <laughs> sorry, darling. I just think one of the other important things was it's not even so much the word disease. It's just that the body is in a dysfunctional situation right now. And I thought that was also a great... Um, analogy that it's a dysfunction of the body not necessarily a disease even though it's labeled as such I think that just gives people an ability to think that it's curable I I just really think it's important we understand that yes and I and I think it's also important that just because medicine said this is the projection we're now showing that it's not the projection because we're seeing this with multiple sclerosis, we're seeing it with rheumatoid arthritis, we're seeing people who are told that there is nothing you can do about it, you're going to have to go on um, these drugs, um, methotrexate, um, to in, you know, suppress the immune system, de- decrease the inflammation for the rest of your life. That's the projection and this is what will happen. So that's what they're being told, whereas there are people out there saying, I'm not going to put up with this. There's no way I'm going to do this. And these are people in, in, as medical doctors, such as Dr. Terry Walls, who put up with the diagnosis and she had a diagnosis of multiple sclerosis and even ended up in a wheelchair for many years and then started to do research and realised that there was different things that she could do than what she had been taught to do and started to change what she was doing and is now out of a wheelchair and has no more progressive multiple sclerosis so and then I look at um, one of the ladies that worked for me she was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis with multiple lesions and she's got x-rays before and she's got x-rays after and she now has the lesions are gone and there's you cannot disprove x-rays they are there the lesions um, or I think they were MRIs, but the lesions were there and now they're gone. And and what she did was 
she did a protocol for autoimmune disease. And she also did a protocol um, that was very much based on Joe Dispenza's work or Bruce Lipton's work, which was not only the epigenetics of the environment, not only the epigenetics of the food we eat, which we call nutrigenomics, because everything you consume is actually saying to your genes, turn me on, turn me off. And it's also what we think, as we know Bruce Lipton talks about. So you can see it as as a crisis or you can see it as an opportunity for change and education and awareness. And to say that it's genetic, I have this question for you, Karen. Is there anybody else in this family's history that you know of? No. That's type 1 diabetes. That's the first question. No. Is there anyone in this family that you know has an autoimmune disease? No. Okay. So if it is, so let's talk about autoimmune diseases as we know them in a generalisation and we know there are, at this point in time, in our knowledge that we know, there are three things that will create an autoimmune disease to present. And the first one is a genetic predisposition. So remembering that food turns genes on and off and so does the environment. So number one, we know there's a predisposition through genetics. Number two, and by the way, talking about that, we've now realised that people who had the gene for celiac actually are better at um, warding off parasites. People have the gene BRAC1 and BRAC2 actually have a higher fertility rate. So these genes out there um, function in different ways as opposed to just turning on a disease. So BRAC1 and BRAC2 was breast cancer and, of course, the celiac gene is the digestive tract that is um, compromised as a result of eating gluten. So first of all, genetic predisposition. Number two is the environment, the foods you consume, uh, the, um, the environment around you, the chemicals. So one of the graphs... Uh, that I'm looking at right now is a graph um, from the 1960s with diabetes, people with diabetes. And it's showing an association. Remember, this is not science as far as, um, you know, associations can be anywhere, but it is showing an association between the amount of medica- uh, the amount of chemicals that are in the environment and, and the pro- projection of cases of diabetes. So we we actually know that there are environmental factors, so that's number two. Number three uh, is a gut that is compromised, and that is something that we are now learning is causing real issues with people with autoimmune diseases. So number one, fix the gut and the microbiome. Now, because your friend's son has, um, he'll need insulin. Yeah. He'll need it. Um, He's also got to come to grips with how does he manage his sugar levels so he's not um, jumping his sugar up and jumping it and and then lowering it again and having to take lollies because this is what they say, take lollies. And I've watched friends of mine with type 1 diabetes. I've been skiing with them, snow skiing in Europe, and they've they've got a, a health um, condition of type 1 diabetes and they've got, you know, their monitors and, you know, they'll go and eat a Mars bar or they'll go and eat um, something that has got lots of sweet in it to bring their sugar levels up if they've taken too much insulin. 
pulls it right down. And I said to him, I, and, you know, this is a really good friend. He was, he was diagnosed in his, um, you know, his late 30s. I said to him, why are you not eating, you know, good quality foods and having those good quality sweets if you have to pull it up? But he was not even worried about his food. He couldn't have cared less about his food. All he was worried about was keeping his sugar level. And so he would eat anything he wanted and then he used insulin and sugar to um, monitor that. Whereas the new way of thinking about type 1 diabetes is how can we monitor our sugar levels, eat really good food that doesn't shoot us up and down, find other foods that can help us bring it up. And in the beginning, I have to tell you, it's good to be in a forum where people are doing this because most of it, what they're going to learn is what I just told you about this friend of mine who was diagnosed in his 30s. He, that's how he was taught. doesn't matter what you eat, just make sure you're monitoring your sugar levels. Yes, and all the stuff on the internet says the same thing. All the stuff on the internet says don't worry to um, you know, alter your diet too much. Just make sure that you are tracking your sugar levels and using the insulin as you need to. And to me it just rings alarm bells instantly because – you know, when I first read that it was an autoimmune disease, my first instant was, well, like you just said, and, and I don't know anything, so forgive my ignorance, but my first instinct was what you said, okay, so it's got to come back to the compromised gut, and I'm trying to think of everything that he's gone through that could possibly have compromised his, his own immune system over the years, and yeah, he's had some issues where he's been in hospital and broken bones and anesthetics and, you know, antibiotics and stuff like that, and so all of that naturally would have contributed, right? Oh, definitely, because the antibiotics destroy the microbiome, which destroys the ability of the microbiome to produce mucus which protects the epithelial lining so he could have also i don't i don't know what industry is in but he could have been exposed to chemicals some way there could have been chemicals in the house if he eats a lot of wheat um, we know that gluten is at not only part of being an instigator of a compromised gut but also a perpetuator of autoimmune diseases so he's probably had a compromised gut for quite some time yeah. and and if he continues to eat wheat and gluten we know this. This is this is not like there will be people who may listen to this that are in the medical world that will be just saying she's full of you know what. But I'm sorry, we need to now look at the new science. It's that's old science. This is new science. This is science where we know that because we've destroyed the ability of the body to even digest gluten, and because we eat so much wheat and gluten that it is just a perpetuator of the disease if you have an autoimmune disease. And if I had anybody close to me that had an autoimmune disease, I would, um, number one, get them to watch my documentary, What's With Wheat, even though just a small section is on autoimmunity, but it's there and the experts are in there and they're talking about it. That would be one. Number two, I would get them to um, read Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride's book. Now, um, probably the one to read is not the GAPS one, but the, the one um, on, um, I can't remember the name of it, um, to eat your heart out. I think it's something I'll, I'll on. But I would, you know where I would go is I would um, get your, um, your friend to listen to the um, 
interview I did with Dr. Natasha Campbell-McBride, which we put on up for a chat. And it's just recently, and I don't remember the number, and I'm sorry for anybody else who's listening here, um, but we will put that in the show notes, the number um, of that one. I would listen to that, and I would be on an autoimmune diet immediately. Because if I so the, the book you were saying, Cindy, was put your heart in your mouth. Put your heart in your mouth. Okay. Now, she may just be talking about the heart and she may not be talking about the auto, you know, the immune system um, because it's been a while since I read that book. But what I would get him to probably watch the documentary series Betrayal. Now, this is a lot of information, but he needs education and information because we want to keep those 30% that are still there. We don't want to get, like in my way of thinking, I would want to know that my body is producing some insulin and then I can figure out through diet and, um, you know, through monitoring how much insulin I I need. And I know for my friend who's 13-year-old got um, type 1 diabetes, they've been able to really reduce the amount of insulin that the doctors and um, diabetes educators were telling her that she needed to use. So they've done an amazing job. Now, having said that, Karen, this is this means education. This means work. This yeah. is not as easy as what um, the di- diabetes educators and the hospitals will be telling them to do. It'll be, hey, just monitor your sugar. This is how you do it. Eat what you want. I'll see you later. Mm. So it's up to them. They have to realise that this is. Um, something that they will have to do and they'll have to do for the rest of their lives. And I, I can tell you this, that most people with type 1 diabetes end up with celiac disease. So why not go off the wheat now? Why not get off the gluten right now? It's it's a known fact because I remember a friend of mine, go, you know, being at the diabetes educator and, that, and her saying, oh, should we go off wheat and should we go gluten-free? And she said, oh, I would wait for the celiac to arise before you do that. See, to me, that's just, oh, what? Why would you wait till it's too late? Why would you wait till you have, have the disease? Because they know that once you get rid of gluten and wheat, then you can heal your gut. Well, why would you, you know, I, I don't get that mentality and I never have. That's cure mentality. I have prevention mentality. I would rather prevent that. I would rather keep my 30%. But that's me, Karen. Um, that's what I want to. That's what I would want to do, and that's what I would want to do for my children. I would want to learn this, educate myself, understand it, help them. You know, when Casey was sick, um, you know, she was twenty three years of age, and I just took over the education because she was too sick to do it. So I think it's about um, if the mother wants to take this on and help her son, but then the son and and now Casey. takes it on herself I don't have to do anything she's figured it out she knows what she needs to do she knows how to be well Um, she knows if she falls she knows the the key thing she needs to do to get herself up again she doesn't need me anymore in actual fact she's smarter than me when it it comes to the gut lining and and the compromised gut lining (laughs) really oh yeah she's amazing she's just in the beginning she just did what she was meant to do and I did all the did the research and 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 just said this is you know this is what we're doing and now oh my gosh she goes to conferences she goes to talks every every chance she has she's out there um learning about the condition that she had and 
and and has absolutely um, turned it around. And Cindy, can so, I ask you? You have to ask. Um, you said something at the beginning of the podcast that that we know that food switches on and off genes, and we know that food is a major player as well as things like the environment and chemicals and exposure and things like that and mindset. Uh, am I correct in thinking that, that it's old science or old ways or is it pharmaceutical companies or why is it that doctors, GPs, why is this not at the forefront of education to become a GP then if it is so important? Well, there is a, a new thread of medicine happening, and it's in, it's called environmental medicine, and they are looking into this. But you have to realise that if we go back seventeen years now from now, we didn't know this stuff. This is new. Many people that were in crisis with type one diabetes, or multiple sclerosis, or lupus, or rheumatoid arthritis. We didn't have the knowledge of the gut. We didn't have the knowledge of the microbiome. So the way our specialist, and remember a specialist is somebody who's done six years of university, intern year, um, junior registrar, senior registrar, decides where they want to go. Nine years later, they're a specialist. So we're looking at 17, 18 years. So these guys that have just come, you know, that are specialists and have done a huge amount of study and education but in a paradigm that is very mechanistic and is all about let's diagnose and we have a protocol and this is how we treat. And the protocol and treatment is usually using medication, surgery or radiation. So this is, this is the way it is. And until the um, research catches up to the university system, then our general GPs who are very busy and have very little time and if they're a specialist only read probably because that's all they've got time for is their speciality journals so if they're gastroenterologists they'll read the gastroenterology journals if they're in heart disease they'll read those journals if they're in um, room if they're rheumatologists they'll read those journals they don't have time to read the gastroenterologists and everything but we're still now realizing that all this, we've always known the systems have linked. We just ended up creating this, this speciality. So it's the, it's the people out there researching. It's the people collating that research. It's those, those mothers that are desperate to find cures for their children. It's the adult that has got a disease and doesn't want to live with it, that knows how to research that is collating this information and making it available for the general public. And I think um, if you go to your um, GP or your specialist in any disease now, you are going to get a protocol that is probably not looking at environmental medicine, is not looking at integrating all of these different things. So it's that, I think that that's why we're seeing that now. And you have to look outside that paradigm. You can't stay in it. If, if you don't want to end up on the – and they will they will say to your friend's son, Karen, they will say to him, this is what your life will be like. This is what you have to do for the rest of your life. This is how you do it. And this is the outcome 
of diseases that will happen as a result of you getting type 1 diabetes. So they'll give him that progression and that understanding. And, you know, many, um, Dr. Gary Fedke says that most of the people he operates on now are people with diabetes, type 1 and type 2, orthopedic surgeon, you know, taking limbs off or, you know, eyesight diminishes. Because what happens is that um, there's a restriction of the blood vessels to, to extremities in the body if you do not monitor your sugar levels right. If you monitor them and you keep them at an even keel, then the likelihood of you having these diseases that are projected are far less. And there was um, there's a beautiful young man. He's had um, uh, type 1 diabetes, I think, since he was about 12 or 13, and he's now in his 20s. And he's realised that while diet has been a wonderful part of him monitoring his sugar levels brilliantly. He's found that nopal cactus, so that's spelled N finale O-P-A-L, nopal cactus was one way that when he consumed foods, if he consumed the nopal cactus, he um, was able to have his sugar levels just stayed really even. It was the it was the one thing that really helped him apart from diet and, you know, autoimmune um, protocols and doing everything else that he was doing. He, he never had highs and lows with his sugar as a result of using this Nopal cactus. And as a result, he now has a company, I think it's called EM, um, that has the Nopal cactus. Uh, he can't say that um, he sells that Nopal cactus. He can't say that on the packaging. Um, but he, um, his insight and his education and his awareness and his learning has has brought him to create a business um, with this cactus. It's quite amazing. Wow. Mm. So, so, Karen, you, I've probably given you a lot of information. No, you have. <laughs> What's that? It is a step-by-step process, this. Mm. It's, and it's interesting. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about everything as you're talking about it, Cindy. And you know, coming back to um, your what you said about, um, you know, you have to look at all of the factors. We can't just look at one contributing factor. It has to be everything. And I've googled the autoimmune pro- protocols, and there's lots of diets that you can see on the internet for the autoimmune protocol which which one would you suggest would actually be the best one to um for me to let my girlfriend know about yeah look i they're all very much based on the same um, principles right and those principles are healing the gut number one healing the gut uh, eating foods that do not irritate the gut, so um, non-inflammatory foods. And basically that's lots of green vegetables. That's um, small amounts of good quality meats. And we're looking at organic here. You know, this is about going the full way. Because when you listen to Terry Wall in my documentary, she said when the magic really started for her was when she used organic, chemical-free, skincare, cleaning, everything products, and she went organic with her food. And she eats cups and cups of vegetables every single day, protein, nuts. I believe she stopped eating eggs. I'm pretty sure Terry stopped eating eggs. And she's doing research 
um, at the University of Iowa for people with multiple sclerosis. So her disease was multiple sclerosis. There's also Sarah Ballantyne, who's in my documentary, who also cured herself of an autoimmune disease. She's um, an amazing, uh, another amazing lady. And sometimes it's about finding the right protocol or somebody that appeals to you. If if I, I would be, number one, job one, I would be looking at killing that gut. And, you know, for me, the best one is the one that I did with Casey, um, Cultured Wellness Program, which is now part of Changing Habits. So um, we have, you know, we have not only have Kirsty Worth, but we also have Sheridan and Jordan that are doing that. But that, I would also do GAPS as well. So if there's a GAPS practitioner near um, your friend's son, I would get right on to GAPS. And if getting in, doing intro GAPS is just too hard in the beginning, then just stick to main GAPS at least until um, you're ready to move on because main GAPS is just about getting rid of some foods that will definitely be compromising him and will definitely be perpetuating that the death of the beta cells. We want to stop that. We want to stop it now. And so he needs to act fast on this. It's not a matter of I'll think about it. He needs to act fast on it because remember the honeymoon period, which is three months, one year, two years, we don't know, is when it's the it's the slow death of that last 30%. Oh. Now he may know, he may have been told, look, you still have 30 40%. In, it's usually 30%. He may only have 20. He may have been told this if they've done um, a scan. Um, he may not have been told this. So I would, when you become educated, you can ask the right questions. When you walk into a doctor's office, then you walk in and he and they say to you, you have type 1 diabetes and you have no idea what that is. You yeah. are at the mercy of somebody else telling you what to do. You don't even know what questions to ask. You have no idea. So number one, having an advocate in the beginning is really important. Somebody that knows this stuff, knows the right questions to ask. When you become educated and aware, you become your own advocate. You become more educated. You ask the right questions so that you get an answer that you will need to make you healthy, not just stay on this road that um, is the common road. And I like to do the road less travelled. You know me. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the key, though. I think that that's a real key. And I think when, you know, when the initial fear wears off or the initial concern wears off, then, you know, the, the mind is probably much more open and ready to do their own research. I do think it's such an important fact that you've brought up there, though, and I'm really – I'm repeating this for myself so that I can remember to tell her, but I think that the most important thing is – don't just go blindly with what and I don't mean this with any disrespect because I, I can't say that I even know better but I think don't just go blindly with the doctor saying eat whatever you want to eat do whatever you want to do and just measure it and monitor it with the with the insulin because it's all genetics anyway I think because that's that's what a lot of the information is and um, I, I think that that kind of takes the power away from a person's own ability to contribute to their own well-being and then it just becomes a very reliant exercise of the doctor telling you what to do and then you're walking around oblivious. Whereas I think what you've spoken about here today is really putting the power back into the individual's hands because it is going to be up to that individual to 
participate in the process, whether it can be cured or not, but to still participate in the process of, of wellness um, to the best of possibility so that nothing does accelerate, nothing does expand, nothing does become worse or, you know, nothing turns into anything else. It just becomes a real journey of, of, of health, well-being and wellness. And I, and I love everything that you've said today, Cindy. I think you've, you've, just, you've just uncovered so many answers that, I'll be honest, I didn't even know to ask the questions to the answers that you've given us today. It's, it's been profound, and I'm, I'll definitely get my girlfriend to listen to this podcast for sure. Well, I, I want to talk to you just a little bit more. I know we haven't got far to go um, in our time here, but I, I think it's important that people understand that there are two ways to look at what's happening. So the first way which everybody looks at is what we call the allopathic way. So you remain allopathic means remaining passive. You're a passive participant in your journey, in your journey, whatever it is, whether you've got cancer, type 1 diabetes, um, heart disease, whatever it is, you're just a passive participant. You know nothing. You're told by your doctor to do something. You're lucky or unlucky. So for them to say genetics, it's a roll of the dice. So he's unlucky. He um, surrenders all responsibility to somebody else. It's fear-based. If you don't do this, you will die or you will go into a coma if your sugar plummets, you know. And I've watched, you know, our beautiful beautiful Melissa um, from our Peru trip. Oh. Uh, I won't say her last name, but her son's a type 1 diabetic and I remember being at a conference with her and he had taken too much insulin and had gone, he was going downhill fast into a coma and she was frantic, running, orange juice, orange juice, yelling because we're in a hotel. And so, you know, we're grabbing the orange juice and getting it into him before, you know, he couldn't get it into himself. So um, I watched that and it is, um, it's scary. But if you have control, then you, you don't have to be in that scary position. And, and this was years ago, by the way. Her son is an adult now. So she, they know better now as well. Whereas if we look at a different way of looking at healthcare. We become the active participant in creating our health. We're not looking for a fix. We we realize that we need to change. And we know that there's perfect order and we've just got to find that perfect order again. So um, your body knows what to do, but you've got to stop interfering with it with the foods that are turning on the wrong um, messages in our genetics and you've got to change that. You've got to look at your environment. So there's there's going to be a lot of things he needs to look at, but number one, he must start. If he wants to stop those beta cells from being continually eaten and eroded by the, bo the body itself, then he's got to stop that catalyst and he's got to heal that gut. So it's about removing and healing in the beginning. And that to me would be um, as... It's so funny, I repeat all the time, everybody in my movie, What's With Wheat, but um, Dr. Pearl Mother says that's job one. <laughs> that's yeah, what has yeah. And probably also, too, removing or thinking about at least as many chemicals in the environment as possible to give the body the best chance to, to seal and heal. So that would be something. I also loved what Dr. Tom O'Brien said where, you know, you know, even though your your friend's son is in the crisis, Darling Karen, 
it's it's not a bad time for the whole family to address their their health Mm. and as he said why wait for the disease to strike you before you take steps to eat better be better and live better why not live as if you've been diagnosed with the disease or the the dysfunction now what would you do so I thought that was quite an amazing analogy for the family supporting the person. There's nothing wrong perhaps with the whole, I don't know how many siblings he has or, or what his situation is, but, you know, it might not be a bad thing for everybody to look at this as a cleanse or a, I mean, I'm sure like Casey, there, there might be something that he has to do a lot more strict than the the average person. But for the rest of us, it's a good wake up call, isn't it? I think it is actually, and it, and it's really, you know, I since you know obviously having you girls in my life, my my whole life has changed. Like you know, as far as I eat and what I will and won't have, and when I was at the Golden Door Health Retreat on the weekend, they gave me a water bottle. The first question I said is, "Is BPA free?" <laughs> <laughs> and the woman hesitated, and then she said, "Yes, yes, it is." And I thought, "Oh, I don't know. I'm not sure because it didn't say it anywhere on the bottle." And I just and I and I had a giggle in myself. It's to how um, you know my mind has shifted to when you know you look in my cupboards. There's nothing in the box. There's nothing in the bottle. There's nothing in a packet. You know my fridges are stacked full, and it's been a transition for sure. <laughs> Do you remember that day we came to your house? <laughs> And we had four freezer bags. We video. I should put the video up and show that. I've still got the video of us clearing out your fridge and pantry. That was hilarious. But that was huge. That was you taking. um, Yeah. Should I? Yeah, you should. Because I remember it was like four massive big garbage bags, big black garbage bags. (laughs) Yeah. Honestly, I think that I think that that transition. saved me from myself in so many ways mentally physically emotionally in in so many ways um but that's kudos to you Karen you know there are people isn't there Cindy there's some people that will hear all of this and like you say become a receptor to the information or a, a receiver and just watch the world go by and hope things can be done to them but Karen you're a classic example I think all three of us are really that when you get information, we take action. And I think that's what our listeners tend to do as well. And I, I really admired you that day because you said, you said, do it, take whatever you need to, I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, poor Matt. But then, you know, Matt actually watched um, what's with – well, he first we watched uh, that sugar film and – you know, you guys know that Matt was having like four litres of ice cream a week. He would have his lollies, these chocolates and these chips and his uh, Rocky Road and, you know, and that was that was life. And then he'd have his, you know, teriyaki chicken and, you know, very little vegetables. And we watched that sugar film. The next day, I'm not joking, for somebody who's had ice cream since he was three, the next day the ice cream was gone, everything that was what he considered infectious was his words. I'm not being infected by that. Um, he threw it all out and wow. he's watched Watch with wheat and now there's nothing. There's no wheat. There's no soy sauce. There's no barbecue sauce anymore. Wow. <laughs> yeah, there's none of it. There's none of it. And Matt has lost 13 kilos. What? Honestly, Cindy, it, may, it brings me to tears, but he's lost 13 kilos and it's, you know, it's, now he's getting into the exercise 
thing. And he sent me a message on the weekend and said, I just did 10 kilometres. You walked 10 kilometres yesterday. And he sent me the smiley face, with, but it wasn't a smiley face. It was a red-faced smiley face. <laughs> Bless his little heart. But, you know, it's like now it's kind of opened him up to um, looking at himself holistically because that's the other thing too. And, and, I, and I really, I'm sorry we're out of time on this because, Kimmy, I, I read a lot about how important exercise is with type 1 diabetes, mm. that it's so crucial that the um, exercise regime is stepped up as well as obviously Cindy, what you've just said now with the diet and, and the health and well-being. Mm. That's huge, especially the way with the 75% of our epigen or the genes can be switched on with a, and it doesn't have to be a lot of exercise. It can be a 20 minute intensity or a, you know, like that's what I'm loving around this functional exercise regime now, how much we can support our body to continue to heal if it is in a crisis. So, you know, I just want to say to you though, Karen, also to our listeners that you're an example of the ripple effect. Like for you to turn around two or three years ago and say to Matt, you've got to get rid of barbecue sauce, you've got to get rid of your ice cream, you've got to get rid of eating so much, you know, and <laughs> eating more veggies. He would have just laughed at you, you know. He did. No, yeah, he did. I know, I know. But here's a classic around being in crisis. Don't become the evangelist. Don't become ramming it down. People will come when they're ready. But ultimately by being the example and by showing him the way in a loving way, I think ultimately is probably one of the greatest lessons we can take away from today's podcast. Would you both agree? Mm. Mm. Yeah, and I do agree with you because it is up to the individual to be responsible for their own their own journey. And however that looks for them at the time is how it's going to look. Mm. Um, can you guys think about how many people we have listened to us um, individually, together, in conferences, seminars, individuals, oh, together. You think, and how many change? It's, the, it's those people that hear the information and act on it that are the amazing heroes in, in my way of thinking. Mm. So you make this information to your, your friend and her son. And they may not want to go this route. And that's their journey. And that's okay. Mm. You know, he will still be okay. Yeah. He may, yeah. You know, he will still be okay. People live with type 1 diabetes and they do it the, that traditional way. Um, but it depends on how good do I want to be? How can I be the best version of myself? And, and that will be up to him, Karen. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and, and, and I think that that's the key. You know, when a person's ready, they'll they'll do what they need to do and, and not a minute before. But I, I guess the upside about this podcast, because it was the first thing I thought of, is I thought let's use the power of podcast to really um, open up this conversation. And I think that's the key. You know, when a person, as long as the person knows that all the love, the support, the information, it's all there, it's all out there, you know, it's all here. And they just dive in and embrace it when the timing is right. And, and um, you know, that's that's the best that there is, isn't it? I mean, that's the best that anybody can do. So, yeah. Thank you, girls. Thank you for having this conversation with me today. I'm very, I'm very, very grateful. I, I really am. I'm, I'm very grateful for you guys taking the time out to, to help. So lovely. You're amazing. That. 
thank you. Thank you, Cindy. Thank God we have you. But every one of our listeners, they know they've got Cindy too, just by this podcast. So we're very, very blessed to have you, beautiful girl. That's exactly right. Right back at both of you. Oh, I could cry. I could yeah. cry. Mm. <laughs> I know. Am I supposed to end the podcast now that I'm crying? <laughs> Very lucky. Oh, good idea. Would you like me to do it? I'm quite good at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have gotten quite good at it. Haven't you, <laughs> I miss things sometimes. I can't believe I introduced Dr. Tom O'Brien as a great hunk of spunk and a legend in all our lunch boxes. So. <laughs> <laughs> very much like you though <laughs> he did say it was after oh, the interview you. how else would you do it after the interview he did say it was one of the most vitalistic and incredibly entertaining interviews he'd ever done so there you go <laughs> well now that's what we call memorable <laughs> i love all of you <laughs> no that's awesome thank you so much you girls and listen, everybody, if you guys have got um, people that you know and love that are experiencing any autoimmune diseases and, you know, also particularly type 1 diabetes, please pop a note on our Facebook page, which is allthews.facebook.com forward slash up for a chat, because I think that there could be some real value in um, even creating some kind of a forum. And I don't know if, if that's something that you guys would be interested in doing. I don't know. But, I mean, let's just let's just see how many people out there are either experiencing it themselves or know and love people who are experiencing it and would like to be um, a little bit more educated. Pop your questions there and we can do what we can to get your questions answered as well. You can also post your comments and your questions at all the w's.thewellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat. And, we will also make sure that we put all of the references that we've made in today's podcast on the um, on the show notes. So make sure that you grab hold of those. And you can see those on iTunes when you look at our podcast. And you can also see it at allthews.thewellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat. So you can see all those references there. So thank you, everybody, for joining in. And thank you for participating in this conversation. Um, we hope that... It's been insightful and opened some eyes. We're going to see you here next week on Up for a Chat where you get to become part of the ripple effect that is changing the world. We're going to see you on the ride. Bye, everybody. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.